As many of you know, I spent some time working in the business world before I went into the ministry. My first job right out of college was working for a Fortune 500 company in a very entry-level marketing position. And from the very first, I kept hearing about this corporate vice president named Hal Pepper. Hal was a man of great influence and power within the company. There were many people who were in awe of him, some who were intimidated by him, some who even feared him because of his power and his influence. And for two years, I never met Hal, but I just kept hearing about him. And based on what I heard, I formed some impressions. Well, then finally one day, I was invited to attend a sales meeting, and I actually got to meet Hal. So we went through this day-long series of meetings, and then the whole group went out for dinner. Now, at that time, Hal was in his 50s, and he was at the height of his corporate career. I was a young, wet-behind-the-ears, 24-year-old rookie. And based on what I'd heard and the impressions that I'd formed, I thought Hal probably would ignore me, or he would treat me as an inconsequential person in the organization. And I was wrong. Hal sat down near me at dinner and he engaged me in conversation. He asked me how my time with the company was going. He offered some comments to encourage me and coach me in my career. He never talked down to me. He never made me feel like I was a waste of his time. He didn't treat me like an underling. He treated me like a colleague. And I realized that the how I had heard about was so very different than the how that I met. You see, we can't really know what people are like until we actually meet them. And the fact is, a real, live, face-to-face encounter almost always changes our perceptions. It's true with people, and it's really true with Jesus. You see, it's not enough to know about Jesus. It's not enough to know what he taught and what he did and how he lived. It's not enough to know that he died and rose from the grave. What we need is to meet Jesus. We need to move beyond knowledge and have an encounter with Jesus so that we know him. And because of the resurrection... That always is possible. Because of the resurrection, we can meet the living Jesus. And when we do, those encounters will change us. Have you met the living Jesus? A man named Saul did, and his encounter with the living Jesus was one of the most dramatic in all of human history. And who was this guy Saul? He was a devout Jew who lived in first century Israel. And to the best of our knowledge, he never met Jesus while Jesus was alive, but boy, had Saul heard about him. And what he heard about Jesus convinced him that Jesus was a heretic. And in that, Paul's views were aligned with all of the Jewish religious leaders. They thought Jesus was a threat to religious faith as understood by the Jews. So they killed him. They executed Jesus on a cross. They thought that would solve the problem, but it didn't. It didn't because the followers of Jesus wouldn't shut up. 
They kept talking about Jesus as if he actually had returned to life. Saul couldn't stand this. He wanted to stamp this out. And so he literally went from house to house in Jerusalem, trying to, trying to identify these Jesus followers. And he would get them arrested. In that kind of environment, it's no surprise that many believers fled Jerusalem. They were in fear of their safety and their freedom. And Saul feels so deeply about what he's on, this mission that he believes he has from God, that he does not want to let these people get away. He hears that some of them have fled to the city of Damascus, and he decides to pursue them. He wants to go and get them. He wants to bring them back to Jerusalem. He wants to have them put on trial, and he wants these heretics stoned to death. And all of this behavior is based on what he's heard about Jesus. Well, he's in for a rude awakening because on his trip to Damascus, he actually meets the living Jesus. It's an encounter that transforms his life. I'd like us to listen to this story now as recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thank you. It's about 150 miles from 
Jerusalem to Damascus. So it's a journey that would take several days, and Saul doesn't make that trip alone. He's got some men with him. They're there to help keep him safe on the road, and they're also there to help enforce the edict based on these letters of authority Saul has received from the high priest, letters that authorize him to make these arrests. So they've been journeying for several days. They're almost into Damascus when all of a sudden, as we just heard, there's this bright light that comes from the sky and Saul falls to the ground as we see here written in verse 3 and 4. So what is this bright light? Well, it's rather interesting to know that Damascus is prone to violent electrical storms. So it's possible that at first... Saul thinks maybe this is just a bolt of lightning that has come frighteningly close to him. However, he quickly, <clears throat> quickly would realize that's not the case because he hears this strange voice call his name, a voice that speaks to him in a personal way. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? At that moment, Saul must realize that something unique is taking place. Now, in that culture... You would repeat someone's name to get their attention and to emphasize the importance of what you were about to say. We do something similar in our culture. We usually do it when a parent uses the child's full name. Remember what that was like when you were a kid? Whenever I would mess up and get in trouble, I can still hear my dad, Bruce White, you come here this instant. The use of that full name tells you that something important is at stake and you need to listen up and respond right away. Well, in a similar way, when Saul hears his name twice, he knows that someone wants him to listen up and pay attention right now. Who, though, is actually speaking to him? Well, a bit later in the story, we learn that Saul not only hears Jesus, he also sees Jesus. So in the midst of this bright light, Saul sees the resurrected Jesus in all of his glory. He knows that he must be in the presence of some sort of divine being, but, but he can't know it's Jesus because he's never seen Jesus before. Further, he's convinced that Jesus is dead and he doesn't believe Jesus rose from the grave. So Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And when Jesus identifies himself, Saul's world is turned upside down. That simple answer I am Jesus, demolishes Saul's view of reality. Resurrection can happen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Lord and God. Saul has just met the living Jesus. That would be shattering to everything he believes. What's even harder for Saul to take is the fact that Jesus now confronts him for ungodly behavior. Saul thought he was defending God and defending the truth by attacking Christians. But actually he was undermining God and undermining the truth. By persecuting believers, Saul actually was persecuting Jesus. He has to be devastated. How would you feel if your most foundational beliefs were proved wrong in an instant? 
How would you feel if behavior that you thought was ungodly, you suddenly realized was ungodly and even evil? It's hard to take. And it doesn't end there. When Jesus stops speaking, Saul gets up from the ground and he's blind. And his blindness is tangible evidence that what he heard and saw was not a hallucination. It was not a product of his imagination. He really did have an encounter with the living Jesus. A Jesus who can appear out of nowhere. A Jesus who can speak to him. A Jesus who can make him blind. And so as we heard when the passage was read, Saul is led away by the hand into Damascus. And when he gets there, instead of pursuing Christians to harass them, he pursues God by fasting and praying for three days. And I suspect Saul uses this time to both look backward and to look forward. To look backward at his past behavior and to repent and tell God how sorry he is for what he's done. To look forward and to prepare himself for whatever God has in store for him next. And while this is going on with Saul, something very unusual is going on with a man named Ananias, as we heard. Now, Ananias is a follower of Jesus, which means he's one of the very people that Saul was coming to Damascus to find and harass. And now, Jesus shows up to Ananias and says, hey, I want you to go and heal Saul. (laughs) As we might imagine, Ananias is not very excited about being given that assignment by God. He naturally views Saul as an enemy of Christians. And in fact, he might think it's great that Saul's gone blind. Aha! Retribution for an evil man! Ananias thinks Jesus may not have all the facts. And so he briefly pushes back to set Jesus straight. Lord, this man has done so much to harm your people. Don't you know that? Isn't it amazing how we like to second-guess God? You know, we are so prideful and so self-centered that we, we easily conclude at times that we're right and he's wrong. So we just need to straighten God out. I remember doing that when God made it clear I was supposed to leave the business world and go into the ministry. I was sure that if I just gave God all the facts, if I gave him a little more information, he'd make a different decision, realizing I was right and he was wrong. How presumptuous. And yet, you know, if we learn to listen to God, if we really listen then often he will put our concerns to rest when we're uncertain about the decisions that he's asking us to follow through on. And he can help us understand why his way is best. He certainly did that with me. And he does that here with Ananias. Ananias is willing to go to Saul when he learns that Jesus has a special purpose for Saul's life. We see that next in verses 15 and 16. Look at these words from Jesus. Jesus is going to commission Saul to a whole new way of life. Instead of trying to stifle the message of Jesus, Saul will now be an ambassador for the message of Jesus. 
And it won't be easy, but he will be involved in having the privilege to tell all kinds of people about Jesus. And he'll be able to share that message with conviction and with passion because he has met the living Jesus. Now, there are some things about this statement from Jesus that require some further explanation. First, what does it mean for Jesus to choose Saul? Well, that term chosen instrument in verse 15 describes a musical composer. Someone who selects which instruments should play which parts so that the resulting symphony will sound magnificent. You see, God is the master composer. And he knows how to give us the best and the most beautiful and the most fulfilling parts to play. However, Even though Jesus chooses us, we still have to choose to follow Jesus. We have free will, and we can ignore God's purposes if we want to. It's not wise to do that, but we have the freedom to do that. Yet if we make the choice to reject God, then we're going to settle for second best. Because no matter how wise we think we are, Our choices never will be as wise as God's choices. And so Ananias learns here that Jesus has chosen Saul, that that Jesus is going to commission Saul for a great and beautiful purpose. Yet Saul has not yet chosen to follow Jesus. Not yet. That's the first thing. Second, this statement about Saul's suffering needs some context, I believe. And the reality is that in this life, everyone suffers. Life is hard. Sometimes it's unjust. Sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it's painful. And we suffer the loss of friendships. We suffer loss when loved ones die. We suffer the pain of illness and accidents. And we sometimes suffer by the choices we make. We suffer because we grab this opportunity and we forego that opportunity. The question is not, can I avoid suffering? The question is, am I ever willing to suffer in a cause greater than myself? For example, I think of the retired business executive who told me, throughout my life, I focused almost exclusively on my career because making money was my highest priority. So I had no hobbies or enjoyable outside activities. I did no meaningful community service. I was a lousy parent to my children, and eventually my wife got tired of my neglect and she walked out. That man suffered a lot because of the selfish choices he made. And his case is obviously an extreme example, but it highlights the point. Do we ever suffer for something beyond ourselves, for some great and noble purpose? That's the invitation that Jesus is giving to Saul. And later in life, Saul reflects back on what he suffered to fulfill God's purposes for his life, and it's quite a lengthy list. When he became a follower of Jesus, he lost his significant social standing within the Jewish community. Former friends and allies became enemies. In his travels to share the message of Jesus and to tell people about the living Jesus, he suffered shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment and more. 
And you know what Saul says about all this? He says, it was worth it. It was worth it because compared to the joy of knowing Jesus, everything else is second best. It was worth it because he wasn't suffering for some foolish, self-centered reasons. He was suffering so that people could meet the living Jesus just as he did. So that people could have the opportunity to get a fresh start in life and experience their God-given purpose. That makes everything worthwhile. That's the commission Jesus will give Saul. It will be a life of great purpose. And Ananias gets the preview. Jesus tells this to Ananias. And when Ananias hears it, then he's willing to go and find Saul and be the agent, the means by which God brings Saul into the family of God. We see that described here in verses 17 through 19. Ananias goes to the house and he ministers to Saul. And you know what strikes me? This is the only time we meet Ananias in the Bible, which means in the grand scheme of things, he's a rather obscure person. And it's a reminder that God does not choose people because they're famous or popular. God picks people who are faithful and available. I find myself wondering, what would you or I do in this particular situation? If Jesus showed up in a dream or a vision and spoke to us and interrupted us in the routines of our lives and asked us to do something uncomfortable like go and visit an enemy of the faith, I have a plan for him, but he's been an enemy of the faith, would we do that? Would we do it reluctantly or enthusiastically? I hope we would trust Jesus and go. That's what Ananias does. That's the part he's to play in this moment in God's great symphony. And he does it faithfully. He trusts what Jesus says. So he welcomes Saul into the family of God. And the world will forever be changed as Saul from this point forward fulfills God's purpose for his life. And as we read deeper into the New Testament, we learn that Saul changes his name from the Hebrew Saul to the Greek Paul. He carries the message of Jesus throughout much of the known world. He preaches and he teaches and he helps hundreds of people have their own encounter with the living Jesus. He starts many new communities of faith. And the letters of encouragement and instruction he writes to those churches form much of our New Testament. It is a life of great meaning and great purpose. And it all starts here when Ananias welcomes him. Ananias welcomes him. And Saul decides to yield to Jesus. Jesus has chosen him. And Saul now chooses Jesus. Many years later, Saul looks back on this moment there with Ananias. And he gives us a bit more detail. There's a conversation or a statement from Ananias that's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 22 verse 16 and Saul recalls Ananias saying these words to him, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name. Saul responds to that invitation. He's baptized. He is forgiven for the evil he has done. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he now begins a new life, 
a new season of life as a follower of Jesus. When we talk about a moment like this in someone's life, we often describe it as a conversion. I think it's better described as a surrender. When we're standing apart from God, it's usually because we're battling our pride and battling our sense of self-sufficiency. And what God wants is for each one of us to come to a moment like this where we just yield and finally say yes to God. Saul is able to do that because he knows now that the resurrection of Jesus is real. He wasn't there at the empty tomb on the very first Easter. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared physically before his disciples. Yet Saul's encounter is no less real. He met the living Jesus. And he has been changed because of that encounter. And he has yielded, and God is now giving him a fresh start. And what is fantastic is that everyone who meets the living Jesus is changed in some way. On Friday night, we had a special experience here to celebrate Good Friday and to remember the crucifixion of Jesus. And we spent some time praying about what it means that Jesus died for us. And some of us who were here that night, we took, our, we, we took a three-by-five card and we wrote our names on those cards. And then we took those cards and we nailed them to the cross over here. And we did that to remind ourselves that we have met Jesus. We have met the Jesus who died and who rose. So we could get a fresh start just as Saul did. That is the great promise he offers to everyone. It's a promise that became real in my life when I was a teenager. If you've been around here for a while, you know that I grew up in a very loving home, but it was a home where faith was absent. But in my life, that all changed when I was 17 because one Sunday morning, I went to church with a friend. And that morning, I heard for the very first time the message of Jesus. And it made sense to me And I realized that Jesus wanted to forgive the sins of my past, and he wanted to give me a better future, a future full of his meaning and his purpose. But here's what's really important to understand. I didn't choose to become a follower of Jesus because I got some better information that day. I didn't become a follower of Jesus because I learned more about Jesus. I became a follower of Jesus because he was there that day. I could sense the presence of Jesus as I heard his message being proclaimed. And I could feel him inviting me to respond and to put my trust in him. And this is nothing I can prove scientifically, but I know. I know beyond any doubt that Jesus was there. I encountered the living Jesus. And because of that, I surrendered. I surrendered just like Saul did. And I made the choice to trust Jesus and to receive his forgiveness and to pursue his purposes in my life. And everyone's purposes are different. We've gotten a glimpse of Saul's purposes. For me, God's purposes meant 12 years in the marketplace and then a life devoted to ministry. It meant learning how to be a husband and a father. It meant learning how to serve the community outside the church. It meant learning how to be 
generous and how to find joy in taking things God has given me and willingly giving them away to those who have less. To try and be a blessing to people who live on the margins. It meant learning how to make a life in California and Illinois and Oregon. And through all of these things, making the choice to let Jesus guide me every step of the way. That's the part I've been playing in God's great symphony. And every Easter, I take time to remember To remember what it was like that very first time I met the living Jesus. Because it was in that moment that God gave me a fresh start and set me on His path. So what about you? If you're a follower of Jesus, let this story of Saul remind you. Let this story remind you of what it was like when you first met the living Jesus. To remind you of when he gave you a fresh start and be so thankful for that. And never forget the example in this story of Ananias, a man who was faithful and available. Can you be like him whenever Jesus might interrupt your life and ask you to do something for him? I hope all of us are continuously willing to discover God's plan and purpose in every season of life. And to be open to the fact that there are times when he may change the direction of your life. And if he does, it will be a good thing. Because his plans always are best. And if you have never met the living Jesus, I hope this story of Saul can convince you that Jesus is alive. I hope it can convince you that you have the privilege and the opportunity to meet the living Jesus just as Saul did. And Jesus can put to rest the issues of your past, whatever they might be. He can give you a fresh start. And he can make you rich in what really matters. A life full of meaning and purpose as you follow God's plan and God's path. You might have some questions about this. You might like to talk to somebody about this. If so, you can grab me after the service. I'd be happy to chat with you. I'll be out in the lobby. We'll also have a church leader or two over in the prayer corner, and as we conclude the service, you could make your way over there, and they would be happy to pray with you, talk with you, and help you understand more about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus. And I want to wrap up by, by what Ananias says here, to, to, or excuse me, what's described here as Ananias and Saul are together. It says that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Ask Jesus to remove the scales from your eyes so that you can see spiritually more clearly, so that you can see Jesus and meet him. Recognize this, Jesus has chosen you. Are you willing to choose him? Repent, be baptized, and discover the part that God has for you to play in His great symphony.